Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Angela Stanton. Angela has a PhD in neuroeconomics, which is a research field that looks at how hormonal variations of the brain affect the decisions people make. She now focuses on researching brain function and how it relates to chronic pain. She is a participating author in the textbook called Encyclopedia of the Mind, and she has published her own book called Fighting the Migraine Epidemic, Complete Guide, How to Treat and Prevent Migraines Without Medications. Angela, thank you so much for coming on to the episode for today. Thanks, Gary. Really nice that you invited me. I'm flattered. Thank you. No problems. Well, you've got some exciting research that you've done, um, and you've got your own protocol, which is all to do with headaches and specifically migraines. And I think the information that you've shared in your book, which I've had a chance to read a bit, is really exciting for people who suffer migraines. I mean, I personally know some people who suffer migraines, and it's it's a problem. So I'm really excited to try find out from you today what can people do to both prevent and help it. When when they're in pain. Yeah, yes, it's. Uh, I think it's, uh, over fifteen percent of the population is diagnosed as migraine, so it is a much bigger problem than it is understood. Yeah. So my first question for you then is, what is? How would you explain the difference of what is the difference between a migraine headache and a normal headache or like a tension type headache? Okay, there are a lot of differences. Uh, I think that the most important difference, perhaps, is when you get a normal headache, attention, or otherwise, it's just a headache. You don't have any precursing like a prodrome. You don't have any sensations before that. You can take usually some over-the-counter medications and it goes away. When you have a migraine, you have uh, oftentimes up to two days of prodromes, and the prodromes can be sensitivity to light, uh, sand, these are well-known. It could be aura, which uh, may be a little bit sooner, closer to the side of the migraine. People can get extremely hyper, um, almost like as if they were, you know, just ready to hike the biggest mountain or they can be depressed. So you have a lot of emotional variability and these are all hormonal. And uh, in addition to that, many of the migraineurs um, have metabolic changes. They may start vomiting. Um, have nausea, they may get dizzy, vertigo. Um, these are the signs that are really uncomfortable. Then there are signs, for example, for me, uh, one of my eyes will become smaller. I didn't know that. This is part of the book, how it was discovered. And since then, um, I have worked with over 4,000 migraineurs. This seems to be a universal symptom. This you don't find with any other kind of headaches. That's interesting. So your actual pupil will will change on the one side. It's not the pupil. It's the size of the eye. Apparently, the migraine part of the brain where the brain is not functioning properly, it's not getting enough sodium, which we're going to talk about later, doesn't allow the muscles to work. So the eye literally isn't able to open up. Oh, wow. Okay. So the words you used earlier, just for people who wouldn't maybe heard it before, prodromes, that's something like a, a, sim- a symptom that happens before the actual condition right. occurs? Right. It's a chain of events. So uh, some people only get one prodrome, uh, maybe yawning. That is a very typical uh, migraine prodrome, approximately, starting approximately one to two hours before the migraine. That would be a prodrome very specific to migraine. So, yawning. 
yawning. Wow. And um, that is part of uh, the chain reaction um, of all the hormonal startups. So migraine start is a, a release of an anxiety hormone cascade, which was triggered today by nothing. It could be by a plane flying by or a fragrance in the perfume counter. Somebody's spraying out and it's really strong. Uh, it's a perceived danger. But in ancient times, this would have been danger. So here we come to something more complicated, which is associated with uh, what is called a hyper-excitable brain of the migrantary. It's a busy brain. So we, we have different brains from the standard brain. And um, when, when this cascade is alerted for whatever reason, um, it, it releases a whole lot of hormones, which you would refer to as fight-or-flight hormones. So a migrantary will go through releasing of adrenaline, um, increasing heartbeat, all the digestion shuts down, hence uh, what I was saying with the, uh, vomiting and, and other things. Um, it's a whole set of steps that is pretty much the same for every single migrainer. And so uh, the cascade events, because you start increasing your blood pressure increases, your heartbeats increase, you need more air, hence yawning. Mm, okay, interesting. I, uh, I, I've, I've heard of a lot of the different symptoms that people can have with a migraine, and maybe see, like you mentioned that word aura before. So this, when right. some people can see the little dots in their vision, or they, you know, they're more sensitive to smells or something. But the yawning, that, that's interesting. I haven't, haven't right. heard that one before. Most people don't know these because when a migraine goes to a doctor or goes to the emergency room for treatment, she's already past that stage. Mm. And most of them may not even remember until they meet another migrainer and they start communicating. So what, what do you feel before? Well, I feel this, I feel that. Wow, I feel that too. And do you feel this? Do you feel this? So it sort of kind of built up and this is how I started. It's kind of built up and saying, wait, this is not just me, it is everybody else. Mm. And so we have a whole lot of symptoms that are not recorded in literature. Mm -hmm. And this is also why I know you, you're a part of the International Headache Society, I believe I saw you. Right. And yeah. if anyone's ever had a chance to look at the International Headache Society's book on headaches and classifications <laughs> and migraines, I mean, the migraine section is you don't just get one, there's like multiple types of migraines, hemiplegic, yeah. you know, um, vision loss semi-paralysis i mean there's some really funky migraines out there but as you said it sounds interesting that would you say all of the people in that group then will have some sort of pre-syndrome some prodrome right they do and what i found really interesting for which my facebook migraine group was extremely helpful is to find out that it really doesn't matter what kind of migraines you have uh it could be hemiplegic where half of your body any parts it could be the whole half or just little parts or it could be that you lose speech uh, stroke-like symptoms uh, whatever you have it really doesn't matter also whether you're an oral migraine or not the basic underlying cause is the same mm. uh, every single one of them responds identically to the same kind of a procedure which is what i call the protocol so they all respond to the protocol the same way and i must also add that all of the migraineurs in my groups eventually come off of all of their medications this is not a request but they stop having migraines so they start coming off the medications and they remain migraine free based on the same identical protocol so if you're looking at it that way um basically every single migraine is identical what differs is what part of the brain is being affected by it 
Well, that makes complete sense. So, because that is what's happening, why you can have such variations in the symptoms of migraines, as we just mentioned. So, uh, what you mentioned there with the causes too, that's a great cue into the next part. Because when someone suffers a migraine, it's that horrible quest of going, so what is it? What is causing this thing? Is it because I've had a piece of chocolate or I've drank too much coffee or it's genetic or it's my environment. Um, could you just go through some of the causes then um, that you think both do actually cause a problem and something that people, it's a myth, people shouldn't even worry about that? Okay, so there are a couple of answers to this. So let me take the first one. My game is genetic. So you really need to be born with a brain that is capable of producing a migraine. Uh, a migraine brain um, is hyper-excitable. And what actually that means is Take, for example, somebody's nose and a migraine nose, my nose, and we have the olfactory bulb that goes into the brain and it connects to either uh, other neurons, right? In a normal brain, I'm just going to come up with a number here. I mean, the normal brain assume that olfactory bulb neurons connect to 10 others, just saying a number here. In a migraine brain, they may connect to 1,000. So... The magnitude is huge, but it's only for the sensory organs. Um, so um, when you're talking about the genetics of it, if you don't have this kind of genetic uh, genetics, your chances of getting a migraine is zero. Uh, so you need to have this kind of a brain. Now, just because you have that kind of a brain, it doesn't necessarily mean that you end up with a migraine. Like I have that brain. I've always had that brain, and I haven't had a migraine for quite some time. I can't initiate one because I know how to. So here we come to the food, nutrition, environment, and all of these are factors. Uh, in the environment, um, barometric pressure change causes changes in electrolyte in the body, which then affects um, uh, the migraineur terribly. Uh, full moon will affect the migraineur for a somewhat different reason. I, if you have time, I'll cover that as well. Um, Food. The food is probably the most important because given the kind of migraine brain, uh, the multiple connections, which are significantly stronger and more powerful, we actually have a lot more communication going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And communication is voltage. How do you get that voltage? So then you start looking into what creates voltage, what exactly is it, and you discover it's the electrolyte mineral concentration. So when you use a lot more of something, like migraineur brains use a lot more of something, then uh, you tend to run out of it. So you need to replace it. So then the next thing that you look at, what, what do I do to increase that? And how come that I run out of it so quickly? And so uh, this is something that I totally by surprise found in a medical manual on page four. And this is an eight-handed book medical manual. And uh, <clears throat> it's used in emergency rooms. And I don't know why it just doesn't hit anybody in the face. But when you eat carbohydrates, the glucose, when it enters uh, your cells, removes sodium and water from your cells. So here is the basic problem for complete uh, disequilibrium of the electrolytes, the very thing that would create the voltage. And in migraineurs who are predisposed to having a bigger reaction because it's genetically predisposed to have diabetes, um, 
the reaction is equivalent to a diabetic reaction, which means it's a huge reaction and a lot of sodium and a lot of water will be removed, ends up in edema or similar places. So eating food that converts into glucose easily, I'm talking about carbohydrates very specifically, uh, simple carbohydrates, processed food, that kind of carbohydrates, um, are all 100% migraine makers. So without exception, um, they will remove enough sodium and water from the body that the migraine will end up with a migraine. And um, I go further than that, that even what we call more healthy carbohydrates like fruits and, and vegetables can also, to some migraineurs, be um, to the detriment of getting another migraine. So um, the foods that a migraineur should eat Contrary to many other books out there that suggest just take out the foods like chocolate, which is an irritant because of certain chemicals. No, chocolate is an irritant because it's high in potassium, not enough sodium. So if you're eating chocolate, foolishly enough, with the glucose sugar in it, but say if you're eating a totally 100% dark chocolate, you still will get a migraine if you don't salt it. Okay. So potassium-sodium balance that matters. Oh, interesting. Okay, so, so the the what I mean, you covered quite a lot there, um, especially with the food and the genetics. So, just coming back to the genetics part, then is a twenty three and Me kind of test useful? Can um, yeah. so right. if you did one of those, you can sort of see are you predisposed because you've got that genetic profile? Uh, you don't even have to look at it if you have migraines. <laughs> you know that you're predisposed. You can actually go to the human database, you know, human genetic database at genecards.com. And uh, at genecards, you just type in migraines and the whole uh, migraine profile will show up and it is ordered in um, importance. So just look at the first 10. Every single electrolyte pump gate, <laughs> everything is a mutated form. And while I'm saying mutated is actually... Um, a little bit more complicated. This isn't really the mutated form because my estimation, this is a hypothesis, this has not been proven, but uh, because of the alert brain, um, if you look at wild animals, look at your cat, look at your dog, uh, their ears are turning all the time. They're, the cats are famous for sleeping with half eye open. Um, they're alert. They're constantly alert. My dinners are pretty much the same. So my personal hypothesis without any proof yet is that the migraine brain is probably the ancient original human brain. And so those who don't have migraine are probably the ones who are mutated. They're probably adapted to a, a more modern lifestyle, whereas uh, migraineurs are probably the original. So if you go back into the tribal life a uh, long time ago, perhaps we were the shamans. We were the ones who were tending the fire at night while everybody was sleeping. I don't know. But we have such incredible ability to discover some noise that is above the white noise. And that goes for the scent, the sound, um, just about anything you can think of, including vision. Um, we have, we don't have good vision, but we have extreme peripheral vision. So um, if a leaf moves, I may not even see the tree, but a leaf moved and I'm on it. And other people may not react to that. Okay, that's interesting. So, because that's what you mentioned earlier about the anxiety and the hyper excitability. So, right. in this case, you've got like spidey senses. So, right. <laughs> your your vision, your smell, your your taste, everything is just on this 
edge right. system. It's just looking for something. Hey, what's that? What's that? And that's, it sounds like that's the kind of the way that you're describing that a migraine person's brain is versus right. someone who doesn't suffer it. Yes. And I think that the personality goes with that. So what I found uh, in most cases, at least so far, even remotely, um, as I talked to my migraineurs on Facebook and some I met in person and my husband can uh, testify to that, that we are like Popsy twins where we could very well have all been twins. It's just really amazing that somebody just posted in my group, maybe we all had a single relative somewhere millions of years ago because we are completely identical. So our personality reflects who we are. We are, we tend to be probably hyper a little bit, triple uh, A personality, um, always wired, ready to go, and um, know, wants to know, feel, and, and sense everything. Okay. Um, and what about, uh, we'll get on to the food part because that's going to be a big part. Um, but just before we get to that too, um, sleep-wise, is there a difference between people who suffer migraines and their sleeping habits? Do they want to? Do they sleep deeper? Do they need to sleep longer? Are they light sleepers? Is there any trend out there? Yes, that is an amazing question. I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, migraineurs, because of their half hour being open, kind of asleep, they're um, not too much of a deep sleepers. And this is one of the problems with diabetes, um, as you probably know. And also we tend to have extremely vivid dreams. Um, nearly all of us discuss um, not being able to sleep because you had a dream. You may wake up in the middle of the dream and you remember your dream. I still remember my dream from yesterday, which was really weird and odd. And um, so we are a little bit restless. I would say um, most migraineurs have some problem, some form of problem with sleeping. And it's quite a bit, uh, I'm wearing them, a Fitbit device to monitor my sleeping. And, and I can tell whether I did or didn't get a good night's sleep um, based on uh, how my body is going to respond to my food that I eat, uh, which is a very important part of it. Um, and yes, our sleep is extremely different from other people. Um, I find that, well, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. So when you're sleeping, your brain actually goes through a particular process. It literally shrinks to allow the fluids to clear um, fragments and proteins and other things. And in the migraineurs, because their neurons are so, there's so many connections and they're so sensitized, as this fluid goes through, it touches the neurons. It literally is a stimulant. So our wild dreams and, and very vivid um, imagination in our dreams perhaps are connected to this cleaning mechanism uh, that we are just simply responding to it as though it was a stimuli. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so where you think that sleep should heal. And it's, I bring in the sleep part because a lot of people when they get a migraine, it's dark room, so they're minimizing the visual sense and and they want it to be quiet and then they want to and then try sleep to try right. and get rid of the headache. Um, right. It's And it's crazy to think in a way that as your brain is cleaning itself through that system that it's actually potentially gently stimulating your neurons. It does. And so when you have a migraine, you can't actually sleep. But uh, the dark room is probably a very good idea because you're removing a lot of external stimulus otherwise. So migraines will have a closed eye. They will have uh, a closed door, so it will be quiet. Everything will be pitch dark. Most of us sleep with an eye mask. I do. Um, if there's any kind of a light or anything, like an alarm clock or whatever, it always gets covered in any hotel room and everywhere. So 
yes, we tend to navigate toward uh, dark and quiet, but another very important thing happens when you have a migraine is that you don't eat. And that itself, the fasting part, even though you, you're not aware that you're fasting because you haven't eaten for a whole day <laughs> because you had a migraine. And by the way, migraines last uh, longer than a day, usually three days, the pain period itself if you have pain. So um, if you're not eating for one, or two, one to three days, and oftentimes you can't because everything just comes back up. So you may be able to drink water and now supplement salt if you're in my protocol group or read my book. Um, Otherwise, you basically get into the fasting mode of the ketogenic format, which then allows your brain to recover. It's a very interesting process um, that when you do have a migraine, um, I just recommend for everyone, don't eat, just drink water and salt. Okay, because that's a great cue now. So we're going into the nutrition side again of the causes here and also a part of the solution. So your approach then is like a modified ketogenic, modified low-carbohydrate kind of hybrid way of doing things um because of as you as you've been touching on is that glucose control that inability to handle the carbohydrates and putting you at risk of like diabetic type responses um so so you're saying another tip here both to prevent a migraine i i don't know about maybe preventing but definitely once you're in the throes of a painful situation that's where the fasting naturally is trying to help you deal with the pain Right. And you can actually prevent a migraine because your prodrome period is so long that once you know how to identify that you're actually in a prodrome, this is probably the hardest part of migraine to discover that, hey, I have a prodrome, so I better act and, and increase my sodium and increase my water, perhaps uh, stop my carbs, stop eating. Um, if I do that, I actually am preventing my migraines. That's why I haven't had any for a long time. I, I did uh, a couple of days ago because um, I ate something that I didn't know had sugar in it, and quite a bit, I think. Um, and um, it was just meat, by the way. <laughs> and so a modified uh, diet, and I'm saying modified because a migraineur is, number one, genetically um, pre-diabetic, no matter what she does or he does. Number two, um, if we just simply start fasting, we will end up with a migraine because that will induce an electrolyte imbalance so it has to be done really cleverly differently from other people and also we have a lot of children that we deal with i deal with children of age two who have migraines so uh, it's not specific to women of the period when they can this menstrual and whatever uh, that's not true it, it it's for all age group and i deal with a lot of boys and men adult men um, some of them over 70 years old so it really touches everyone and um so we needed to modify the diet you can't put a two-year-old on a ketogenic diet so we had to modify it such that whatever we do is applicable for all okay. with minor changes yeah. well i mean what you brought up there is a fantastic great point about the difference in age groups and the sex groups and so if we, if we if we try to just put it on a single hormonal event like the, a menstrual cycle it doesn't explain how, why a two-year-old no. is getting a migraine or a 70 year old is getting a migraine right. um but the, that inability to control the glucose element is the link between all of those people exactly and uh it's not just the glucose it's the insulin okay. um as you know, there are two theories with diabetes. One is on glucose and the other one is on insulin. It is a little bit 
more complicated when it comes to migraine. Uh, but it seems that even a migrainer whose fasting insulin is low is still in insulin trouble. And so we have to look to see what is the insulin response to certain foods. We have trouble identifying that because nobody's measuring insulin. But I just wrote an article a little while ago at hormonesmatter.com, which is on my website. I'm just a, a blogger there. One of my members, who is, by the way, not a migraineur, but is a sister of a migraineur, um, joined my ketogenic group. And she went through, she's not in the U.S., um, she went through the test, the typical test for the fat, the oral glucose tolerance test. So she had the glucose. But in that country, they also did uh, insulin to go with it. It was not a craft in C2, so it was not a five-hour-long test, just a one and a half hours, but it was enough to see what was going on, and also urine. And her glucose was completely normal. So measuring glucose in general, I completely agree, is quite meaningless. Uh, you need a surrogate, which uh, you talked to uh, Ben Dickman the other day about, um, actually almost a year ago, or two months ago, um, that ketone measured beta-hydroxybutyrate can actually be a surrogate for um, insulin, which is something that I use as well. Um, but it seems that for migraineurs, uh, when I send them for a fasting insulin test, and I have a preset form of a list of blood tests and urine tests they need to take and ask the doctor to, to have, uh, I find that many of my migraineurs have totally healthy insulin yet they have insulin resistance. So there is something different about a migraineur that is not covered in literature, is not covered by understanding um, a normal person who's not a migraineur and how they respond to food, glucose, and the insulin. We are somehow different because we may have completely normal insulin and still be insulin resistant and still have issues and have uh, major problems uh, in response to a lot of foods that other people don't. Okay. And so would you expect then that when with someone who's, who suffers then with a migraine that if they eat any sugary foods um, or sweet foods and it creates that spike, that it, it doesn't always cause a migraine though? Um, is it sort of like a threshold point that that you, as you said, there's right. they're going you're going to catch them at a certain time in their physiology and then it, it just can't control it and they go through a, this right. the cascade there, of events exactly so there, there are two points that one is a threshold there was a time when i ran a threshold test in a group but it ended up giving migraines to everyone so i stopped doing that <laughs> but in that threshold test they were to drink a certain amount of that was um i think cranberry juice which is very high in carbohydrates they were to drink a certain amount of cranberry juice or have a certain amount of box of blueberries blueberries are sugar bombs for most people they're good fruits but for migraine with sugar bonds. And uh, they're measurable, they're in the USDA database, so I would know how much carbs they ate. Um, and they could measure at what point they no longer get migraine. So they can keep on repeating the test and go down to see their threshold. Uh, the problem is, is that these threshold changes. Uh, the threshold changes within two things. One of them is how much fat you're eating with that food. We know that that is going to change also protein, but fat has the most effect. So if I have a threshold, I'm just going to say a number here, five carb grams, which is my personal threshold, by the way. If I eat 10, as long as I mix it with fat, I'm fine. If I don't mix it with fat, within an hour, I will be just rolling in pain. So 
there are differences in how you eat that sugar. And the threshold changes also in terms of where you stand in your insulin resistance. What we found out is when my migraine members joined in my group and I had them a long time ago do this threshold test at the beginning, uh, they did not get migraines until maybe about 20, 30 carograms because their insulin didn't respond properly. So they were so insulin resistant that it took a long time for the glucose to clear from the blood and get to the organs. But as they get on the low-carb high-fat diet and their insulin starts to improve in its sensitivity, their response, their threshold drops. And so there was a lot of complaints. Wait a minute, I used to be able to eat this. Now I can't, I'm getting a migraine for What's happening? This is bad. I said, no, this is good. That means you're reversing your insulin resistance. And so you now have a response that you should have had. Um, and so that two changes, we can't really count that threshold. The best way to do it is simply not eat it. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. Okay. Well, that point you've just mentioned there about, you know, adopting a low carbohydrate diet and then suddenly your tolerance sort of lowers and you go, hang on, right. why can't I handle, handle this? I, I can relate to that. I know of people who have that exact issue <laughs> and they think, no, but I used to be able to binge on this and I was fine. Right. But now like you just give me... A couple of bites of a donut, and I'm, um, you know, the, uh, it it just knocks me. I don't feel great at all. Right, and they're not explaining that to you. It's really difficult to come to understanding what actually that means. It just simply means your glucose is departing from your blood much faster. So everybody measures glucose in blood. Uh, the glucose in the blood is not what you're using. It's there to be used. So mm-hmm. uh, when you're eating an apple, it has, um, I believe, a approximate average, depending upon what apple I'm talking about, usually the green, sour, Granny uh, Smith, you will have 16 carb grams. Uh, I mean, no, part of it is fructose, part of glucose, about um, 16 is four teaspoons, say two teaspoons of glucose in that apple. Um, in your entire blood, you only have one teaspoon. So if you're eating that apple, you just tripled your uh, amount of glucose in your blood. And that's a medical emergency as far as your blood is concerned. Um, Glucose in the blood for a longer period of time is toxic. So if you're insulin resistant, the amount of glucose in your blood is going to be staying higher longer. And therefore, your reaction to it will be reduced because it's not in your cells. It just didn't get into the interstitial space around the cells or into the cells. And so it's just waiting. Uh, What is killing you (laughs) for being in your blood? You don't necessarily have a reaction to it. But as your insulin starts improving and getting more sensitive and um, a better response, then you're going to suddenly remove the glucose all at once and deliver it to wherever it needs to go. And so your reaction to it is going to be very quick. And this can also backfire because if you're on a ketogenic diet or something, your insulin is really low and you're eating something you used to eat, you may not have enough insulin. To take it away so again you may have a lot of glucose for a long time and it may not clear and you think you're okay but you're not okay uh this can also cause trouble okay and what you were talking about earlier then uh, what you what um sort of the, the the premise of this problem is is that you're you're losing sodium out of the cells right. so and this is where you said even don't just fast if you've got a migraine because you you'll be losing more sodium that you it sounds like a solution here is that you take in more salt to try counteract the loss. And right. is that is that the way that you also then would modify a low carbohydrate or a ketogenic diet for someone who suffers a migraine, that they need to really up their salt level? They do. Um, we have not measured. Everybody's a little bit different. So we, we start out at a potassium sodium ratio is what we're looking at. 
So we insist that everybody eats whole food, rich in potassium, no processed foods. Um, and so we used the database, a USD database or similar to some apps that tell you how much potassium you ate. So we try to match that amount with sodium, not salt, but sodium. So sodium is 40% of salt. Uh, in the US, only sodium is marked on boxes. I know in, in the UK, I think it's salt. So it's a little bit, it gets confusing. Um, we try to match one-to-one the sodium to start with. And what we find is later on, people try to increase to the point where the migraines stop showing up. Uh, we find that on average, it, they take about twice as much sodium as potassium. And some of us who are athletes, I do weightlifting and kickboxing and other kind of stuff. I usually take three to four times as much sodium as potassium. Okay. So it's much, much stronger. And also the water. If you look at uh, fasting, particularly when you have a migraine and you don't eat, you're fasting. And so your body is going to be using fat. Fat it has a lot of water in it. Uh, in triglycerides, as it's being stored. And so I believe for each uh, gram of fat you burn, you also lose four grams of water, something like that. Uh, I'm looking at molecularly, it is for one molecule, it's uh, three molecules plus in the, the glycerol cap. So you're losing four times as much water as, as uh, fat you're using in terms of grams, not in calories. And so you need to replace all that water as well. But when water clears from the kidney, it also clears sodium. So it isn't just that you're using more sodium in your brain. You actually also clear more sodium as a result of fasting or because um, when you eat glucose, it isn't just sodium that it removes. It also removes water. So you have to replace both. But the problem with the water, it doesn't go out of you. It goes into edema. So one of the tests um, in my book that you may have read is check your rings. If your rings uh, are stuck on your finger, that means you have retained a lot of edema. And so you need to take salt to bring it back into the interstitial space around the cell. I, in the book, I just refer to in the cell. It's just simpler to say um, that the interstitial fluid is around the cell. I think of it in the fridge. You just reach out and grab something and you bring it in. That's basically the cell's immediate supply. So that is where the sodium is. But when you um, ate some glucose or carbohydrates, the sodium and water gets to be kicked out and, and the sodium goes straight to the uh, kidneys, but the water doesn't. It's going out the wrong way. Uh, it's like for us to we have one way in and one way out. So you have to sort of kind of uh, process the food the, the same way internally in the cells as well. So the water has to return into the interstitial space um, and into the cell in order for it to clear the proper way. And the way to do that is to eat just salt without water. So when somebody eats carbohydrates, say, for whatever reason, I don't eat fruit, but say if I eat fruit, uh, and I have just to test it time to time to see if I still have the migraine brain, this is kind of, I have to go for it. Um, if you don't eat salt after that, within a couple of minutes, I will see my eyes going to get smaller, my finger, my ring's going to be tight, um, maybe my ankle will swell. This is typical across the board for all my migraineurs. So the edema will go somewhere. We may get a puffy eyelid, whatever way it goes on wherever it goes it will go somewhere and the way to pull it back is to take sodium this is not specific to migraineurs only by the way uh, my daughter-in-law when she was pregnant uh four years ago she ate some candy or something and she uh, she was in snow somewhere and she had her flip-flops on the snow and she took a photo of that and sent it to me so i wrote an article on that and it's on uh 
hormonesmatter.com as well. Um, I said, why are you in a flip-flops in the snow, pregnant? What is happening? She said, well, I couldn't put my boots on because my feet were swollen. And so when she came over a couple of days later, she was again in flip-flops. And I said, hmm, what is happening? Did you eat something sweet again? She said, yeah, I've been creating a lot of sweets. I said, okay, here's a salt pill. And we have salt capsules, which is filled with salt. And I had her take one with a glass of with a little bit of water, not much, just a, a sip of water at a time and a later more. Within 15 minutes, she was able to put her shoes back on. It works really quickly. And it's for everybody the same thing. It's only that you don't notice it as badly. You don't realize what is happening and you don't see it. You don't notice it. It's not important. So that's interesting about the salt tablets then. So when someone's got a migraine, you know, they reach for a painkiller typically to try it, but it sounds like the first thing you would reach for are salt tablets. Exactly. Um, we have had huge threats. In fact, somebody just started a threat on Botox, I believe, uh, and it's already like 200 comments long in that it's not working for anyone. Uh, there are no painkillers for migraine that actually work because migraine pain is a symptom that you may be able to remove temporarily for a short time by certain magical medicines, sometimes tryptans work a little bit, but not much for some different reasons. Um, but the underlying migraine is still there. So you're still sick. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not just a pain. Um, you can have a headache and yes, you feel terrible, but it comes with so many other side effects. You still can't think, you still can't talk, you still are confused. You may not even remember the name of your spouse. Um, you still can't eat. You still vomiting everything up and you have all kinds of other illnesses going on it's not just a headache so by making a headache go away great i'm still sick so what good is that gonna do so would you so if someone's in a lot of pain would you are the situations where you would say take you know take some more salt now um i'm thinking i is it even practically that someone would take a couple of teaspoons of salt um no, if they, no, no. No. Okay. So we have actually two steps to this because we don't know if it is salt that is missing or it could be potassium that is missing. Okay. It may even be carbs that is missing for somebody who is just switching from a regular sad diet to the carb low carbohydrate diet. So we use what's called the salt test. And a salt test, you just grab it itly bitly. Really, it is just a tiny bit, few crystals, and put it under your tongue. Because when you put it under your tongue, it, it bypasses your stomach, goes through the mucus, and goes directly to the blood circulation. And if it is salt that your body needed, your migraine will ease a little bit. Okay. So if you have an aura, yeah, we tried it with people who didn't have pain. Uh, and that was from the UK, actually. Uh, she was having an aura. And she wrote, it kind of garbled, garbled because of the the auras she couldn't actually she had one of these zigzag kind of auras and um we told her to put salt under her tongue just a little bit and she said oh it's getting better so it started to sort of kind of add and flow so so going away so then we said okay so then take one eighth of a teaspoon of salt one eighth is what it's an arbitrary number but it seems to be working for everyone so that seems to be the magic number uh that uh is about 300 milligrams sodium so then we tell them to take that much so salt one is a teaspoon salt, or in the U.S. we, we can also purchase them in, in salt pills or salt capsules, and um, it usually helps. And then we can ask, well, what is it that caused this? What do you eat? What do you drink? Uh, were you out on the heat? Were you in a cold? Mm -hmm. What happened? 
uh, did you exercise too much? What exactly happened? So once we know what happened and to solve the, the pain level or the aura or whatever the symptoms they have, and to the point where they can actually think, the problem is that they also have brain fog. Mm. So when we have brain fog, we can't think. We can't even read the book. That's one of my complaints from a lot of my clients. Can you make this available in audio? Because I can't read. So they they have a lot of issues, a lot of problems at that time. So we sort of kind of have to knock them out of there. If the salt doesn't work on their tongue, then there's a good chance that they need potassium. So then I will ask, well, hi, how are your rings? What's happening with your rings? Most of them don't wear rings. Like I don't wear rings. So it's kind of difficult to tell. Um, so then they may try to put the ring on to see if it's loose or not loose. Um, if it is uh, not, not loose, uh, if it is, you know, too tight or if it is too um, too loose. If it's too loose, you need more sodium. If it's too tight, that means you're, uh, you need to release the extra water that you have in your system. So then you need to eat food that is potassium. We don't supplement potassium because that bypasses the route um, of the electrolytes. So double to uh, dehydrate the blood. That's not what we want to do. We literally would like to dehydrate the cells a little bit rather than the blood. So then we'll ask them to eat an avocado or um, have some salmon or something, some food that is high in potassium and it's easy for them to digest, whoever you are. And uh, that takes a little longer because it has to go through the metabolic process. It takes usually about uh, an hour before that starts working. And if that doesn't work, then we will end up providing a large dose of water and potassium and sodium and that usually works. Okay, so it's like a, that's your first aid kind of situation then. So you can do the sodium route if that doesn't work, potassium route with a bit of food. If that doesn't work, you, you hit a bomb with water, sodium, and potassium. Right, exactly. And that usually works for everyone. So in the first edition of my book, which uh, I have totally modified in my second one that you referred to, I actually called on eating a McDonald's hamburger, just a burger, not not the bun and not everything else, but the okay. actual burger. Because even today, I'm not telling them to go to McDonald's, but I said, okay, make yourself a burger, put some cheese on it or whatever, put a lot of salt on it and just eat the burger as is. Because the burger is very high potassium. And if they put cheese on it, uh, that will add additional fat with butter on it and salt is really good or eat it with pickles or something that is really salty. So they're getting a whole lot of um, everything and drink water with it. They're not eating carbs um, that much. There's no carbs in, in protein in pickles. Yes, maybe one gram. Ignore that. doesn't matter. And then within, usually within an hour, it starts to lift. It's a very interesting effect. That, I like that idea, though. I mean, I know we're talking about a fast food chain here and people would go, McDonald's, no ways. I'm on a keto <laughs> diet or a low-carb diet for weight loss. I don't want to be going to fast food restaurants. But, I, I mean, that to me is also it's scalable. It's accessible. Anywhere in the world, you right. suddenly you've got this headache going, oh, no, it's, it's kicking off. And you just find a fast food place that does burgers. Right. And as you said, you just you get those bur- the actual meat, the burger patty, and then you just salt it and you try to right. eat that to... Uh, you know, I specifically said McDonald's because a lot of other burger patty places that I found that in Hawaii, unfortunately, they put flour into the burger to hold it together. Ah, uh, okay. So McDonald's apparently changed. I was just told that I didn't know. And I checked online. They changed um, their menu, their, their ingredients, and they no longer put any flour into the burger. So if you have to eat fast food, um, some of the things that I would recommend if you're traveling and that's all you have uh, 
indeed, do go and get a McDonald's burger, just a burger and nothing else. Maybe cheese on your although they use American cheese, it's just vegetable oil. So you may want to choose something else. Um, or in the U.S., we have El Pollo Loco, which is just chicken on the grill. Perfect. Um, have that. Um, so there are some places where you can go and pick and choose of what you can pick from the fast food if you have no alternative alternative options although we recommend whole foods but if you're traveling you can't yeah yeah there's there's practical situations when you're right. when you're outside of your home environment your base right. um and that happens you know when you, you a migraine can hit you at any time you know you're out at right. a social event or wherever so it's just it's, it usually hits when you're out <laughs> in a social event that is a very typical yeah. scenario and yes. that links into that hyper excitability and your spidey right. senses and all that kicking off um so uh, just talk, keeping on the food topic, though, um, my wife wants me to ask you about this one. Then is smoked foods because do they cause any issues? So I live in a place where they do smoked kippers, which is um, a form of fish and um, mackerel and that. Um, but that can kick off a migraine event. It you- can, uh, yeah. In fact, I was just having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. I have a member from Alaska where they traditionally prepare smoked salmon, for example. Uh, we have to understand how it is made. If it is just simply put into the smoke, you're probably fine. If it is brined in salt first, which is usually what they do, then you're not fine. Because whatever potassium was in the meat or fish or whatever you're eating smoked, if it is salt brined, the goal of the salt brining itself is to bring out all the electrolyte and all the blood from the meat or the, the, the fish. So it's basically just pure protein but you end up with a little bit of fat, but it has no longer any water, any juice, anything. That's the goal of smoking, to dry it out. So once you dry it out, all electrolyte ingredients, sodium, potassium, magnesium, everything basically comes out of it. Ah, interesting. Okay. So, and if you salted the the, the, the fish, that doesn't solve the solution because that's just adding a sodium? Uh, exactly. but yeah, you need to eat it with something potassium. So if you eat uh, smoked fish with an avocado, you're perfect because then you're matching it. You're still going to miss a lot of the nutrients. You're going to miss uh, magnesium and other things from the fish itself, whatever it had. I don't know what happens with the omega-3s, for example. I have no idea. Um, so it, it just causes a lot of changes. It's basically processed food if you're looking at smoked food. It's mm-hmm. processed. Mm. Okay. Well, that's yeah. That that that's an interesting way to explain it because we were thinking: is it more the histamine route um, that's causing some sort of inflammatory response? Right, and that can also participate. By the way, so you have to understand why uh, histamines. Um, it, it's a natural thing for the body that anything you eat or drink is not you. So you will have some kind of a reaction, immune response to what you eat or drink. And um, if it is some kind of a pathogen or some kind of a food that you may be allergic to or sensitive to, your body will launch in the cell uh, via um, antihistamines. And the goal of the antihistamines is to take it out of your body somehow. So what it's going to do is going to collect all the water from wherever it can. So it will literally dehydrate you to get rid of it. So if, for example, you get runny nose, why is it runny? Well, it's all the water that's suddenly went into the mucus that has to, that is helping to empty the whatever pathogen that is invading it. So it's the same kind of process. So if it's a histamine, yes, if you're sensitive to that particular thing, it's not the histamine itself, but it's something that is initiating an antihistamine response 
that you're basically talking about. And that can cause a migraine because it can dehydrate you, thereby completely deranging your electrolyte. Okay. And then with coffee, because coffee is a common thing. Yeah, we talked, you explained the chocolate one nicely earlier on. Um, Is coffee a trigger because it also influences your electrolyte balance? I had um, Dr. James Dina, Dean Nicolantonio on um, from the Salt Fix books, and he was talking about um, coffee drinkers need to add more salt into their diet um, naturally. Is that something, with someone who suffers a migraine, do you recommend they just stay off coffee? Or if they do enjoy coffee, should they be doing something like you just mentioned with the fish that they need to be supplementing on the side with something? So let me tell you how migraineurs drink coffee. We actually salt our coffee. We don't drink coffee without salt. It's just uh, just a salt shaker, salt into the coffee. So that already explains part of what you just said, and I completely agree with the Saltix book. Uh, I think he's even a little bit conservative with the 3,500 milligram sodium that he's talking about there. Um, if you watch some of his videos, he actually eats more for his workouts. Um, I personally look at caffeine as medicine. There are many medicines that actually contain caffeine. And if you look at why tryptans work for migraineurs, it's because it, tryptan is a vasoconstrictor. It does the same as a cup of coffee, just in a larger magnitude. And so we let our migraineurs have coffee if they wish, but maximum one cup a day. And if they feel like any other uh, coffee later, they can have decaffeinated. Coffee, uh, coffee two cups a day because that one has much less caffeine. It's not so important, but they reserve the, the coffee for the times when they are fighting a prodrome. Because uh, another trick that is really not known anywhere, I think I found one article that discussed that migraineurs, when they're not in a migraine, have major low blood pressure. That's still a problem with also uh, insulin sensitivity and diabetes. Um, migraineurs have very low blood pressure. Um, I have a questionnaire that people have to answer. I believe it's 18 questions now. I keep on changing that and improving it. That and when migraineur comes in, they have to fill out that question questionnaire, send it to me via personal messaging on Facebook so I can see what they're doing wrong and I can help them uh, start up uh, to go to what I call baseline. And I can see that... Um, I would estimate the average blood pressure of a migraineur from about 4,000 migraineurs to be under 100 over 70, 100 over 60, under that. So oftentimes I see 90 over 50. Uh, I came home from uh, weightlifting the other day and I just wanted to check. And I just finished eating three salt pills. So we're talking about uh, three quarters of a teaspoon of salt and had three glasses of water with it. And after that, I came uh, upstairs to check my blood pressure. It was 96 over 60, I think it was. So that is such an incredibly low blood pressure if you're looking at it that way that um, we do need that caffeine time to time to increase the blood pressure, particularly some migraineurs who do sleep very deep. They may during the night, even the heart relaxes a little bit, their blood pressure may drop into the danger zone and then they wake up with a migraine. So uh, a caffeine is a tool for us. If you wake up with a migraine at three o'clock in the morning, take salt and water and have maybe two teaspoons of uh, some coffee because it's going to constrict the blood pressure just enough. And it's not going to keep you up two teaspoons of coffee. It's not going to keep you up, but it's a very little caffeine, but it's just enough caffeine at that time of the night to give a little bit of squeeze and increase your blood pressure um, until the morning when you can get up and have your coffee. 
That is so fascinating because I have come across people who get headaches in the middle of the night and they just can't explain. Like I was laying in bed and it hit me, um, you know, woke me up from my sleep. So, um, and also I have a family member who suffers badly with migraines. So I can relate to a lot of these questions here, but they have low blood pressure. That's exactly what they, you know, so right. what you've just said there is like, wow. I, this is one of my exclusion criteria. When people come in, one of my questions is, what is your blood pressure? Where does your head hurt? What kind of prodromes you have? And I get questions like, what is a prodrome? Or I get, well, my blood pressure is 130 or something. Um, even 120 over 80, which is the norm. Hmm. I say, are you sure that you're a minor? That's too high for a minor. When you're looking at 99% of the migraineurs um, are under 100 over 60 or whatever that is. Um, 120 over 80, as long as it is, doesn't sound like a migraineur unless so, it's a medication cause. Okay. I'd, that would be interesting if, it, I mean, you've done a lot of research and reading with papers uh, and, and you said there's no papers that have sort of looked at people who naturally are, on, well, I say naturally, that they 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 have these low pressures um, blood pressures, but are they more predisposed then to be migraine sufferers? Uh, they're more predisposed, generally speaking, probably to headaches uh, because migraine requires migraine brain. So the combination of the uh. two is a really bad combination. But you can get really bad headaches from having low blood pressure. Uh, it's natural. You're not getting enough oxygen. You're you're not getting enough nutrients from your blood to your brain. So eventually, the brain is going to say quits. That's it. Um, you will get a pain as, as a wake up call. And if that, that if you don't know what it is and you don't know what to to do with it, you may pass out. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so we've covered so many good points there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about the symptoms, the causes. Uh, what? Yeah, there's lots of actionable tips that you can both test yourself, figure out how to do emergency care. But then, just to touch on long-term care, you would say adopting a, a modified way of eating is the way to go. Modified low-carb, modified ketogenic right. way of eating is is a is a treatment solution to manage the headaches in the long term it is there's a caveat is that a ketogenic diet you probably are familiar with interacts with a lot of medications and i i started to study into the pharmacology and one of the the reasons why is because um, they have to know when to deactivate they have to be able to exit from the metabolic process and in the ketogenic diet we don't have the Krebs cycle the same way as you do in the carbohydrate diet. So the medications sort of kind of get lost. And uh, a lot of them have very serious side effects. So somebody on medications, uh, I have a ketogenic group that I call keto mild. I won't let them go on a ketogenic diet. So they first have to um, get through what the, my protocol the, product, the protocol allows them to start reducing their carbohydrates. It's, it's a sugar-free and sugar-substitutes-free because sugar-substitutes also spike insulin. We have a problem with insulin, so I don't let anybody have any, uh, even natural stevia, no, nothing. Um, so they can come off of all their carbohydrates. They can quit all the sugar-substitutes. Um, they, they have to quit grains. That is one of our biggest problems. They also have to quit all starches. So... Um, potatoes and other kind of things if they eat it has to be after they're already migraine free and a little bit if they can control it's a different story but initially they have to come off of all of that all of their uh, teas teas are uh, diuretic for migraineurs it uh, doesn't matter what kind so they have to come to 
completely what I call baseline, increase your salt, increase your water. Many of them come in drinking two glasses of water a day. So we calculate how many glasses of water they need based on their weight. And for women, it's 55%. And for men, it's 75%. It's a different calculation. And so they have to increase the water very slowly. Um, their kidneys are giving them heart trouble and they get edema. So it take, it's a process. And, it, and once they're at baseline and they start becoming pain-free, then if they eventually want to go to the ketogenic diet, they will have to come start coming off of their medications. So I provide a schedule that their doctor has to approve. Uh, I have two kind of schedules. One would be for the addictive medications, and one would be for not so addictive but difficult to come off, like Topomax, for example. And uh, the standard pharmaceutical directions are a little bit too fast for migraines, and they will end up come going back on the drugs. So mine is much uh, slower, so they have to take that to their doctors. I also have them do this blood test so I could see what kind of vitamins, minerals, what other kind of problems we face. Uh, migraines, a lot of them, um, the majority have a mutation in B vitamins, so we can't absorb, uh, can't uh, methylate B vitamins, so we have to take a special kind. Uh, several of us uh, can absorb A vitamins for vegetables, for example. I can't. I have to eat uh, cod liver oil for that. Um, so there are some tricks in migraineurs that are different from other people. So I have everybody take that blood test. It's quite a significant blood test that they have to take. And also urine test to see if the B vitamin they're urinating out or not. And um, homocysteine is an important factor as well. And some I also send to the calcium coronary artery scan um, because their cholesterol is all over the place and their triglycerides are high and just would like to see what's happening. And um, once they have done all that and they started to come off the medication, if they're really close to having almost no medication at all, then they can start joining the keto group and start learning what it takes to be on the ketogenic diet and slowly start to modify. Uh, so we don't jump like in other people start ketogenic diet five day fast. You can't do that to a migraine. It's going to end up in a migraine and um, they will overshoot and make runaway ketones and they will end up with, um, an extremely hypoglycemic event. So it doesn't work for my dinners. That is such a great tip. Um, yeah, so you have a, a, a sector, a population base who can't just jump straight into a, a far, heavy fasting ketogenic lifestyle because it could actually be causing the headaches. Um, right. And they're usually jumping into a new way of eating to try to fix a problem anyway. Um, and then that must be so frustrating. But the B vitamins that you were mentioning there, again, the same family member I'm, I'm thinking about, they got they, they their symptoms with their migraine have improved since they started taking more B vitamins. And that's exactly what you've been sort of saying right. there. Depends on what kind of B vitamins. So you, if you're taking a, a multi B, those mm -hmm. are there. The, it assumes that your body knows how to methylate them. But if your body knows how to methylate B vitamins, why would you need to take B vitamins? It's sort of kind of counterintuitive because your foods that you eat have a lot of B vitamins in them. And particularly if you're on a low-carb diet and you're eating a lot of meat, um, you have a lot of B vitamins coming in. Why can't you absorb it? Because you can't methylate. So it doesn't make sense then to take another B vitamin, which is, again, non-methylated, and it would require your body to methylate it. So I have a list of chemical names, not necessarily brand names. Although now I listed a couple of brands because I discovered that from my experience and uh, some of other people that some of the sublingual types are better in longevity. So they actually literally work, particularly for those who have high uh, homocysteine levels. 
uh, I was able to bring some people's homocysteine levels down within the relatively normal range from very high ranges. One even had a heart attack before they, he joined uh, the migraine group. And was a vegan, by the way, an oil-free vegan, uh, just a side note. And um, so we need to have, they need to look at the blood test completely bare. So I ask everybody to quit all vitamins and supplements, not the medications, but the supplements and vitamins for two weeks before they go for a blood test, because some of the vitamins have um, half-life of six days to 10 days, and like B vitamins are very typical for that. And so they go to get a blood test two weeks after they quit, and then they get a result to see are they able to methylate or not. And then they will start taking the B vitamins, and then the next test that they will have whenever, three months, six months, a year, uh, they will continue taking the B vitamins, and they're going to get the same test. So I can see whether they're actually absorbing the B vitamins. And then we can see whether they improve or they don't. So with all this testing it sounds like th- this is, is this all a part of your protocol or um, someone could do this as like a migraine coaching directly with you? Is this a, a, an option that, that people have? Yes. In fact, I started uh, started a nonprofit. My husband did actually. I didn't think about such a clever business idea. I'm doing this for free, not for, for money. But he, he went after the nonprofit to, to help me um, to hire, uh, or not hire, but to allow members who would like to become um particular area representatives of the stentomigrant protocols. So I have one already established in Maine um, who was who is still a migraine of mine, but he doesn't have migraines anymore. He's completely able to prevent his, and he's a PhD. And he is a psychologist, so he was able to get a business, so he added a migraine to it. So he's a migraine-free executive, and so he's in consulting. So yes, so we are open to licensees uh, to come in. Um, it is almost completely free. We're not doing it for money. We're doing it to spread the information so that the migraineurs around the world can come off of medications and, and use a medication-free procedure. I have not taken a medication. I still have some. I think I'm going to keep it for life. This is a momentum, you know, for my life. But when you're not taking medications for six, seven years, your body changes. It's really amazing how much change you go through. And I think it is very important to spread this wor- word to everyone uh, who is a migraineur to to have them alive. I have a lot of sports people. I have triathletes. I uh, an Algerian football. I can't say his name, but he's on my team, my migraine group as well. Um, I have a jazz singer. I have um, a lot of marathon runners. Uh, like I said, I was a weightlifter. It's just a lot of people on. Uh, you know, with migraine, that once you remove the pain and the discomfort that goes with it, they return. They start doing marathons and they're winning and they're um, either on the local private or on the ketogenic diet, doesn't matter, but they improve on their performance tremendously and they don't get migraines. It's just such an incredible thing. So we want to spread the word all around the world and, okay. and getting as many representatives as possible. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I again, I know, but when someone's a migraine sufferer, it's a, it is a problem with the medications, the, the over-medication problem. Um, just t- trying to t- take any kind of painkiller, taking too many painkillers just to try to control it all the time, and it, it's not a solution. Um, no. So it is nice. That's why I wanted to get you on to, to find solutions, and you, you've, you've definitely given some really good food for thought for a lot of uh, people, I think. So... What are some links or resources now that people could be in contact with you or follow you? Um, do you have anything you'd like to share? 
Oh, I have a lot of them. Yes. Uh, the most, the easiest way to get through to me is by sending me a, um, a request for contact on stentomigraineprotocol.com. That is the easiest to remember. Um, also on Facebook, they can find me under my name, Angela Stanton. Uh, one of them is PhD, and the other one is a doctor. It doesn't matter. They're gonna be. They can be. They can find me, and the the logo that I have is the same as the little image on the book, so they can kind of associate with it. Um, I also have another with migraine-book.com, and then I have an advocate site. So if you if they want to read about the bad medications. Uh, some of the regulations, uh, new drugs like the Amovic that just came out. I just wrote a big article on that. Uh, they can visit my advocate, advocate blog site, a blog called cluelessdoctors.com, one word. Okay, well, all those uh, all those links, I'll put them in the show notes for people so that they can easily find them. Um, and then just one more on, uh, that I'm going to send you is Hormones Matter. I have a special link to my articles. I specialize a lot in migraine nutrition diabetes that is my focus so they they can have a lot of articles to read there mm -hmm. brilliant well um and there's also your book um which covers a lot of this stuff in there and again i'll link to that um right. but angela i just want to say again thank you so much for all the knowledge bombs that you've dropped on people today i know we went a bit heavy um in the beginning there and there was some a little bit technical things and i hope we um didn't lose to people too much but we we sort of broadened it out and we came up with a lot of actionable tips from that so i just want to say thank you so much for sharing that information thank you very much really appreciated being part of this thank you